Section 10 of His Family. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James Carson. His Family by Ernest Poole. Chapter 31. If there were any cloud upon his horizon, it was the thought of Laura. She had barely been to the house since Edith had come back to town and at times especially in the days when things had looked dark for roger he had caught himself reproaching this giddy-gaddy youngest child so engrossed in her small menage that apparently she could not spare a thought for her widowed sister laura on her return from abroad had brought as a gift for edith a morning gown from paris a most alluring creation so much so in fact that Edith had felt it simply indecent, insulting, and had returned it to her sister with a stilted note of thanks. But Roger did not know of this. There were so many ways, he thought, in which Laura might have been nice to Edith. She had a gorgeous limousine in which she might so easily have come and taken her sister off on little trips uptown. But no, she kept her car to herself and from her small apartment, where a maid whom she had brought from Rome dressed her several times each day, that limousine rushed her noiselessly forth, gay and wild as ever, immaculate and elegant, radiant and very rich. To what places did she go? What new friends was she making? What was Laura up to? He did not like her manner one evening when she came to the house as he helped her off with her cloak, a sleek, supple leopard-skin, which fitted her figure like a glove, he asked, "'Where's Hal this evening?' And she answered lightly, "'Oh, don't ask me what he does with himself.' "'You mean, I suppose,' said Edith, with quiet disapproval, "'that he is rushed to death this year with all this business from the war?' "'Yes.' "'It's business,' Laura replied, as she deftly smoothed and patted her soft, abundant reddish hair. "'And it's war, too,' she added. "'What do you mean?' her father asked. He knew what she meant, war with her husband. But before Laura could answer him, Edith cut in hastily, for two of her children were present. At dinner she turned the talk to the war, but even on this topic— Laura's remarks were disturbing. She did not consider the war wholly bad. By no means it had many good points. It was clearing away a lot of old rubbish, customs, superstitions, and institutions out of date. Musty old relics, she called them. She spoke as though repeating what someone else had told her. Laura, with her chilkin's mind, could never have thought it all out by herself. When asked what she meant, she was smilingly vague, with a glance at Edith's youngsters, but she threw out hints about the church and even Christianity, as though it were falling to pieces. She spoke of a second renaissance, a glorious pagan era coming, and then she exploded a little bomb by inquiring of Edith, "'What do you think the girls over there are going to do for husbands?' with half the marriageable men either killed or hopelessly damaged. They're not going to be nuns all their lives. 
again her sister cut her off and the rest of the brief evening was decidedly awkward yes she was changing growing fast and roger did not like it here she was spending money like water absorbed in her pleasures having no baby apparently at loose ends with her husband and through it all so cocksure of herself and her outrageous views about war and smiling about them with such an air and in her whole manner such a tone of amused superiority she talked about a world for the strong bits of gabble from nietzsche and that sort of rot she spoke blithely of a rome reborn the wings of the eagles heard again this part of it she had taken no doubt from her new italian friend her husband's shrapnel partner pshaw what was laura up to but that was only one evening it was not repeated another month went quickly by and roger had soon shaken it from him for he had troubles enough at home one daughter at a time he had thought and as the dark clouds close above him had cleared the other cloud too had drifted away until it was small just on the horizon far away from roger's house what was laura up to he barely ever thought of that now but one night when he came home edith who sat in the living-room reading aloud to her smaller boys gave him a significant look which warned him something had happened and turning to take off his overcoat in the hall he almost stumbled upon a pile of hand luggage two smart patent leather bags a hat trunk and a sable cloak hello he exclaimed what's this who's here laura edith answered she's up in deborah's room i think they've been up there for over an hour roger looked indignantly in at his daughter what has happened he asked i'm afraid i can't tell you edith replied they didn't seem to need me they made it rather plain in fact another quarrel i presume she came into the house like a whirlwind asked at once for deborah and flew up to deborah's room pshaw roger heavily mounted the stairs he at least did not feel like flying a whirlwind hey a nice evening ahead meanwhile in her room upstairs deborah sat motionless sternly holding her feelings down while in a tone now kindly but more often full of a sharp dismay she threw out question after question to laura who was walking the floor in a quick feverish sort of way with gestures half hysterical her voice bursting with emotions of mingled fright and rage no this time it's divorce she declared at the end of her first outburst in which she had told in fragments of her husband's double life i've stood it long enough i'm through you mean you don't care for him deborah said she was fighting for time to think it out you want a divorce very well laura dear but how do you think you're going to get it the laws are very strict in this state they allow but one cause have you any proofs no i haven't but i don't need any proofs he wants it as badly as i do wait i'll give you his very words laura's face grew white with fury it's entirely up to you sweetie the beast you can have any kind of divorce you like you can let me bring suit on the quiet or you can try to fight me in court 
climb up into the witness chair in front of the reporters and tell them all about yourself. Your husband is to bring suit against you? Deborah's voice was loud and harsh. For God's sake, Laura, what do you mean? Mean? I mean that he has proofs. He has used a detective, the mean little cur, and he's treating me like the dirt under his feet, just as though it were one thing for a man and another, quite, for a woman. He even had the nerve to be mad, to get on a high horse, call me names, turn me, turn me out on the street. Deborah winced as though from a blow. Oh, it was funny, funny. Laura was almost sobbing now. Stop this minute, Deborah said. You say that you've been doing what he has? she demanded. Why shouldn't I? What do you know about it? Are you going to turn against me too? I am, pretty nearly. Oh, good God! Laura tossed up her hands and went on with her walking. Quiet, please try to be clear and explain. Explain to you? How can I? You don't understand. You know nothing about it. All you know about is schools. You're simply a nun when it comes to this. I see it now. I didn't before. I thought you a modern woman with your mind open to new ideas. But it isn't, it seems, when it comes to a pinch. It's shut as tight as Edith's is. Yes, tight. Thank you very much. Then, for the love of heaven, will you kindly leave me alone? I'll have to talk with father. You will not have a talk with father. I most certainly will, and he'll understand. He's a man, at least, and he led a man's life before he was married. Laura, you can't see it in him, but I can. You'll say not a word to him, not one word. He has had enough this year as it is. Has he? Then I'm sorry. If you were any help to me, instead of acting like a nun, will you please stop talking like a fool? I'm not. I'm speaking the truth, and you know it. You know no more about love like mine than a man of the Middle Ages. You needn't tell me about Alan Baird. You think you're in love with him, don't you? Well, then, I'll tell you that you're not. Your love is the kind that can wait for years, because it's cold, it's cold, it's cold. It's all in your mind and your reason, and so I say you're no help to me now. Here, look at yourself in the glass over there. You're just plain angry, frightened. Yes, I am. I'm frightened. While she strove to think clearly, to form some plan, she let her young sister talk rapidly on. I know you are, and you can't be fair. You're like nearly all American women, married or single, young or old. You're all of you scared to death about sex, just as your Puritan mothers were. And you leave it alone. You keep it down. You never give it a chance. You're afraid. But I'm not afraid, and I'm living my life. And let me tell you, I'm not alone. There are hundreds and thousands doing the same, right here in New York City tonight. It's been so abroad for years and years, in Rome and Berlin, in Paris and London, and now, thank God, it has come over here. If our husbands can do it, why can't we? And we are. We're starting. It's come with the war. You think war is hell and nothing else, don't you? But you're wrong. It's not only killing men, it's killing a lot of hypocrisies, too. It's giving a jolt to marriage. You'll see what the women will do soon enough, when there aren't enough men any longer. 
"'Suppose you stop this tirade and tell me exactly what you've done,' Deborah interrupted. A simple course of action had just flashed into her mind. "'All right, I will. I'm not ashamed. I've given you this tirade to show you exactly how I feel. That it's not any question of sin or guilt or any musty old rubbish like that. I know I'm right. I know just what I'm doing. Who's the man, that Italian? Yes, where is he? Right here in New York.' Does he mean to stand by you? Of course he does. Will he marry you, Laura? Yes, he will. The minute I am free from my beast of a husband. And your husband will keep his suit quiet, you said? If you agree not to fight him? Yes. Deborah rose abruptly. Then will you stay right here tonight and leave this matter to me? she asked. What do you mean to do? See your husband. What for? When? Tonight, if I can. I want to be sure. Laura looked for the moment non plussed and what of my wishes she inquired your wishes said deborah steadily you want a divorce don't you so do i and you want it quiet and so do i i want it so hard that i want to make sure deborah's tone was kinder now and she came over close to her sister look here laura if i've been hard forgive me please and let me help i'm not so narrow as you think I've been through a good deal of this before, downtown, I mean, with girls in my school. They come to me, we have long talks. Maybe I am a nun, as you say, but I'm one with a confessional. Not for sins, she added, as Laura looked up angrily. Sins don't interest me very much, but troubles do, and heaven knows that marriage is one, she said with a curious bitterness and when it has failed and there's no love left as in your case i'm for divorce only her wide sensitive lips quivered just a little i'm sorry it had to come like this but i love you dear and i want to help i want to see you safely through and while i'm doing it if we can i want to keep dad out of it at least until it's settled she paused a moment so if you agree i'll go to your husband i want to be sure absolutely just what we can count on and until i come back stay here in my room you don't want to talk to father and edith most certainly not laura muttered good then stay here until i return i'll send you up some supper i don't want any thank you laura went and threw herself on the bed while her sister finished dressing it's decent of you deborah her voice was muffled and relaxed i wasn't fair she added i'm sorry for some of the things i said about me in marriage deborah looked at herself in the glass in a peculiar searching way a slight spasm crossed her features i'm not sure but that you were right at times i feel far from certain she said laura lifted her head from the pillow watched her sister a moment dropped back don't let this affect you, Deborah. Oh, don't worry, dearie. And Deborah moved toward the door. My affair is just mine, you see, and this won't make any difference. But in her heart she knew it would. What an utter loathing she had tonight for all that people meant by sex. Suddenly she was quivering, her limbs and her whole body hot. You say I'm cold, she was thinking, cold toward Alan calm and cool, nothing but mind and reason. You say it means little to me, all that, but
but if i had had trouble with alan would i have come running home to talk wouldn't i have hugged it tight and isn't that love what do you know of me and the life i've led do you know how it feels to want to work to be something yourself without any man and can't that be a passion have you had to live with edith here and see what motherhood can be what it can do to a woman and now you come with another side just as narrow as hers devouring everything else in sight and because i'm a little afraid of that for myself and all i want to do you say i don't know what love is but i do and my love's worth more than yours it's deeper richer it will last then why do i loathe it all to-night but i don't i don't loathe your side but yours is the very heart of it all right then what am i going to do she was going slowly down the stairs she stopped for a moment frowning chapter thirty two on the floor below she met her father who was coming out of his room he looked at her keenly what's the trouble laura's here she answered trouble again with her husband better leave her alone for the present she's going to stay in my room for a while very well her father grunted and they went down to dinner there deborah was silent and edith did most of the talking edith quite aware of the fact that laura and all laura's ways were in disgrace for the moment and that she and her ways with her children shown by comparison was bright and sweet and tactful roger glanced at her more than once with approval and with gratitude for the effect she was making to smooth over the situation deborah rose before they had finished where are you off to roger asked oh there's something i have to attend to school again this evening dear inquired edith cheerfully but her sister was already out of the room she looked at her father with quiet concern i'm sorry she has to be out to-night to-night of all nights she murmured Hrumph! ejaculated her father this eternal school business of deborah's was beginning to get on his nerves yes just a little on his nerves why couldn't she give up one evening just one and get laura out of this snarl she was in he heard her on the telephone and presently she came back to them oh edith she said casually don't send any supper up to laura she says she doesn't want any to-night and ask hannah to put a cot in my room will you yes dear i'll attend to it thanks and again she left them in silence when the front door closed edith looked at her father this must be rather serious roger thought excitedly so laura was to stay all night while deborah gallivanted off to those infernal schools of hers he had little joy in his paper that night the news of the world had such a trick of suddenly receding a million miles away from a man the minute he was in trouble and roger was in trouble with each slow tick of the clock in the hall he grew more certain and more disturbed an hour passed the clock struck nine with a snort he tossed his paper aside well edith he said glumly how about some chess this evening in answer she gave him a quick smile of understanding and sympathy all right father dear and she fetched the board but they had played only a short time when deborah's latchkey was heard in the door 
Roger gave an angry hitch to his chair. Soon she appeared in the doorway. "'May I talk to you, father?' she asked. "'I suppose so,' Roger scowled. "'You'll excuse us, Edith,' she added. "'Oh, assuredly, dear.' And Edith rose, looking very much hurt. "'Of course, if I'm not needed.' At this her father scowled again. "'Why couldn't Deborah show her sister a little consideration?' "'What is it?' he demanded. "'Suppose we go into the study,' she said. He followed her there and shut the door. "'Well?' he asked, from his big leather chair. Deborah had remained standing. "'I've got some bad news,' she began. "'What is it?' he snapped. "'School burnt down?' Savagely he bit off a cigar. "'I've just had a talk with Harold,' she told him. He shot a glance of surprise and dismay. "'Have, hey? What's it all about?' "'It's about a divorce,' she answered. The lighted match dropped from Roger's hand. He snatched it up before it was out and lit his cigar, and, puffing smoke in a vigilant way, again he eyed his daughter. "'I've done what I could,' she said painfully, "'but they seem to have made up their minds.' "'Then they'll unmake them,' he replied, and he leaned forward heavily. "'They'll unmake them he repeated in a thick, unnatural tone. I'm not a-going to hear to it. In a curious manner his voice had changed. It sounded like that of a man in the mountains, where he had been born and raised. This thought flashed into Deborah's mind, and her wide, resolute mouth set hard. It would be very difficult. I'm afraid this won't do, father dear, whether you give your consent or not. Won't! won't it you wait and see if it won't deborah came close to him suppose you wait till you understand she admonished sternly all right i'm waiting he replied she felt herself trembling deep inside she did not want him to understand any more than she must to induce him to keep out of this affair to begin with she said steadily you will soon see yourself i think that they fairly loathe the sight of each other, that there is no real marriage left. That's fiddlesticks, snapped Roger. Just modern talk and new ideas, ideas you're to blame for. Yes, you are. You put em into her head, you and your gabble about women's rights. He was angry now. He was glad he was angry. He'd just begun. If you want me to leave her alone, his daughter cut in sharply, just say so. I'll leave it all to you. And she saw him flinch a little. What would be your idea, she asked. My idea? She's to go straight home and make up with him. She hesitated. Then she said, Suppose there's another woman. Then he's a beast, growled Roger. And yet you want her to live with him? He scowled. He felt baffled. His mind in a whirl. And a wave of exasperation suddenly swept over him. "'Well, why shouldn't she?' he cried. "'Other wives have done it. Millions. Made a devilish good success of it, too. Made new men of their husbands. Let her show him she's ready to forgive. That's only Christian, ain't it? Hard? Of course it's hard on her. But can you tell me one hard thing she's ever had to do in her life? Hasn't it been pleasure? Pleasure from the word go? Can't she stand something hard?' Don't we all of us have to? I do, God knows, with all of you. And he puffed 
his cigar in a fury. His daughter smiled. She saw her chance. Father, she said in a low, clear voice, you've had so many troubles. Why not leave this one to me? You can't help, no matter how hard you try. You'll only make it worse and worse. And you've been through so much this year. You've earned the right to be quiet. And that's what they want, both of them. They both want it quiet, without any scandal. Her father glared, for he knew about scandal. He handled it in his office each day. Let me manage this, please, she said, and her offer tempted him. He struggled for a moment. No, I won't, he burst out in reply. I want quiet right enough, but not at the price of her peace with her God. This sounded foolish. He felt that it did, and he flushed and grew the angrier. No, I won't, he said stubbornly. She'll go back to him if I take her myself. And what's more, he added, rising, she's to go straight back to-night. She is not going back to-night, my dear. And Deborah caught her father's arm. Sit down, please. I've heard enough. I'm afraid you haven't, she replied. Very well. His smile was caustic. Give me some more of it, he said. Her husband won't have her, said Deborah bluntly. He told me so himself to-night. Did he, hey? Then I'll talk to him. He thinks, she went on in a desperate tone, that Laura has been leading her own little life, as he put it to me. Eh? He is bringing suit himself. Oh, he is, cried Roger hoarsely. Then I will talk to this young man. But she put out a restraining hand. Father, don't try to fight this suit. You watch me, he snarled. Tears showed in his eyes. Think, oh, please, think what you're doing. Have you ever seen a divorce court here in New York? Do you know what it's like, what it can be like? Yes, Roger panted. He did know, and the picture came vividly into his mind. A mass of eager devouring eyes fixed on a girl in a witness chair. Tomorrow I see a lawyer, he said. No, you won't do that, my dear, Deborah told him sadly. Laura's husband has got proofs. Her father looked up slowly and glared into his daughter's face. I've seen them myself, she added, and Laura has admitted it, too. Still for a moment he stared at her. Then slowly he settled back in his chair, his eyes dropped in their sockets, and very carefully, with a hand which was trembling visibly, he lifted his cigar to his lips. It had gone nearly out, but he drew on it hard until it began to glow again. Well, he asked simply, what shall we do? Sharply Deborah turned away, to be quiet, to be matter-of-fact, to act as though nothing had happened at all. She knew this was what he wanted now, what he was silently begging her to be for his sake, for the family's sake. For he had been raised in New England, and so, when she turned back to him, her voice was flat and commonplace. Keep her here, he said. Let him do what he likes. There'll be nothing noisy. He promised me that. But keep her here till it's over. Roger smoked for a moment and said, There's Edith and her children. The children needn't know anything, and Edith only part of it. The less the better, he grunted. Of course, she looked at him anxiously. 
this tractable mood of his might not last why not go up and see her now and get it over so you can sleep over roger's set heavy visage flitted a smile of grim relish at that sleep deborah was funny resolutely he rose from his chair you'll be careful of course she admonished him and he nodded in reply at the door he turned back where's the other chap i don't know she answered surely you don't want to see him her father snorted his contempt see him no nor she neither she's not to see him understand i wouldn't tell her that tonight look here roger eyed his daughter a moment you've done well i've no complaint but don't try to manage everything he went out and slowly climbed the stairs outside the bedroom door he paused when had he stood like this before in a moment he remembered one evening some two years ago the night before laura's wedding when they had had that other talk and so it had come to this had it well there was no use making a scene again with a sigh of weariness laura's father knocked at her door come in deborah she said it isn't deborah it's i there was a little silence very well father come in please her voice sounded tired and lifeless he opened the door and found the room dark i'm over on the bed she said i've had a headache this evening he came over to the bedside and he could just see her there a long shadow under the white she had not taken off her clothes he stood a moment helplessly please don't you talk to me his daughter fiercely whispered i can't stand any more tonight i won't he answered it's too late again there was a pause what time is it she asked him but he did not answer well laura he said presently your sister has told me everything she has seen your husband it's all arranged and you're to stay here till it's over you want to stay here don't you yes then it's settled he went on there's only one thing the other man i don't know who he is and i don't want to know and i don't want you to know him again you're not to see him understand for a moment laura was silent i'm going to marry him father she said and standing in the darkened room roger stiffened sharply well he answered after a pause that's your affair you're no longer a child i wish you were he added suddenly in the darkness laura's hand came out clutching for his but he had already turned to the door good-night he said and left her in the hallway below he met deborah and to her questioning look he replied all right i guess now i'm going to bed he went into his room and closed the door as soon as roger was alone he knew this was the hardest part to be here by himself in this intimate room with this worn blue rug these pictures and this old mahogany bed for he had promised judith his wife to keep close to the children what would she think of him if she knew judith had been a broad-minded woman sensible big-hearted but she never would have stood for this once he recollected she had helped a girlfriend to divorce her husband a drunkard who ran after chorus girls but that had been quite different there the wife had been innocent and had done it for her children laura was guilty 
she hadn't a child she was already planning to marry again and then what he asked himself from bad to worse very likely a woman can't stop when she started downhill his eye was caught by the picture directly before him on the wall the one his wife had given him two herdsmen with their cattle high up on a shoulder of a sweeping mountainside tiny blue figures against the dawn it had been like a symbol of their lives always beginning clean glorious days what was laura beginning well he demanded angrily as he began to jerk off his clothes what can i do about it try to keep her from remarrying hey and suppose i succeeded how long would it last she wouldn't stay here and i couldn't keep her she'll be independent now her looks will be her bank account there'd be some other chap in no time and he might not even marry her he tugged ferociously at his boots no let well enough alone he finished undressing opened the window turned out the gas and got into bed wearily he closed his eyes but after a time he opened them and stared long through the windows up at the beetling cliff of a building close by with its tier upon tier of lighted apartments a huge garish hive of homes yes the town was crowding down on him tonight on his house and on his family he realized it had never stopped and that his three grown children each one of them a part of himself had been struggling with it all the time laura wasn't she part of himself hadn't he too had his little fling back in his early twenties you will live on in your children's lives she was a part of him gone wild she gave it free rein took chances god what a chance she had taken this time the picture of that court he had seen with the girl in the witness chair and those many rows of eyes avidly fixed upon her came back to his mind so vividly they seemed for a moment right here in the room these eyes of the town boring into his house angrily he shut out the scene and alone in the darkness roger said to his daughter all the ugly furious things he had not said to her upstairs until at last he was weary of it why am i working myself all up i've got to take this it's my medicine chapter thirty three but as he watched laura in the house roger's first emotions were complicated more and more by a feeling of bewilderment at dinner the next evening he noticed with astonishment that she appeared like her natural self she's acting he decided but this explanation he soon dismissed no it was something deeper she was actually unashamed unafraid that first display of feelings the night of her arrival had been only the scare of an hour within a few days she was back on her feet and her cure for her trouble if trouble she felt was not less but more pleasure as always she went out nearly every evening now and when she had spent what money she had she sold a part of her jewelry to the little old galician jew in the shop around the corner yes she was her natural self and she was as before to her father her attitude said plainly it isn't fair to you poor dear to expect you to fully understand how right i am in this affair 
and considering your point of view you're acting very nicely often as she talked to him a note of good-humoured forgiveness crept into his daughter's voice and looking at her grimly out the corner of his eye he saw that she looked down on him far far down from heights above yes he thought this is modern then he grew angry all at once no he added this is wrong you can't fool me young woman you know it as well as i do myself you're not going to carry this off with an air not with your father no by george and he would grow abrupt and stern but days would pass and in spite of himself into their talks would creep a natural friendly tone again he found himself friends with her friends as though nothing whatever had happened could it be that a woman who had so sinned could go right on here was laura serenely unconscious of guilt and smiling into her future dreaming still of happiness quite plainly sure of it in fact with a curious dismayed relief roger would scowl at this daughter of his a radiant enigma in his quiet sober house but edith was not at all perplexed when she learned from deborah that there was soon to be a divorce she came at once to her father her face was like a thundercloud a nice example for my children she indignantly exclaimed i'm sorry my dear but what can i do you can make her go back to her husband can't you no i can't he flatly replied then i'd better try it myself you'll do no such thing he retorted i've gone clear to the bottom of this and i say you're to leave her alone very well she answered and she did leave her sister alone so severely that laura soon avoided being home for lunch or dinner she had taken the room which george had occupied ever since john had been turned out and there she breakfasted late in bed until edith put a stop to it they barely spoke to each other now laura still smiled defiance days passed christmas came at last and despite edith's glum resolution to make it a happy time for the children the happiness soon petered out after the tree in the morning the day hung heavy on the house roger buried himself in his study laura had motored off into the country with a gay party of her friends or was this just a ruse he wondered and was she spending the day with her lover well what if she was could he lock her in about twilight he thought he heard her return and later from his bedroom he heard her voice and edith's both voices sounded angry but he would not interfere at the christmas dinner that evening laura did not put in an appearance but edith sat stiff and silent there and despite the obvious efforts which deborah and alan made to be genial with the children the very air in the room was charged with the feeling of trouble close ahead again roger retreated into his den and presently laura came to him good night i'm going out she said and she pressed her cheek lightly to his own what a dear you've been to me dad she murmured and then she was gone a few minutes later edith came in she held a small note in her hand which roger saw was addressed to himself well father 
"'I learned this afternoon what you've been keeping from me,' she said. Roger gave her a steady look. "'You did, eh? Laura told you?' "'Yes, she did,' his daughter exclaimed. "'And I can't help wondering, father, why did she tell you? "'Have you been at her again today?' "'Again? Not at all,' she answered. "'I've done as you asked me. Let her alone. "'But today, Mother's Day, I got thinking of her. "'Leave your mother out of it, please.' what did you say to laura i tried to make her go back of course and she told you he wouldn't have her and then in a perfect tantrum she went on to tell me why edith's eyes were cold with disgust and i'm wondering why you let her stay here in the same house with my children roger reached out his hand give me that note he commanded he read it quickly and handed it back the note was from Laura, a hasty good-bye. Edith will explain, she wrote, and you will see I cannot stay any longer. It is simply too impossible. I'm going to the man I love, and in a few days we shall sail for Naples. I know you will not interfere. It will make the divorce even simpler and everything easier all around. Please don't worry about me. We shall soon be married over there. You have been so dear and sensible, and I do so love you for it. Then came her name, scrawled hastily, and at the bottom of the page I have paid every bill I can think of. Edith read it in silence, her color slowly mounting. All right, said her father, your children are safe. She gave him a quick, angry look, burst into tears, and ran out of the room. Roger sat without moving his heavy face impassive, and so he remained for a long time. Well, Laura was gone, no mistake about that, and this time she was gone for good. She was going to live in Rome. Try to stop her? No. What good would it do? Wings of the Eagles, Rome reborn. That was it. She had hit it, struck the keynote of this new age. Rome reborn, all clean, old-fashioned Christian living, swept away by millions of men at each other's throats like so many wolves and at last quite openly to himself roger admitted that he felt old old and beaten out of date moments passed and hours he took little note of time nor did he see on the mantel the dark visage of the thinker there resting on the huge clenched fist and brooding down upon him Lower, imperceptibly, he sank into his leather chair. Quiet had returned to his house. End of section 10 Recording by James Carson